0: This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. You've all gotten into some sort of debate or argument at some point in your life, yes? Okay? It's probably been recently. How many of you have actually gotten into a debate with someone, and at the end of the debate you 're like, "Oh man, I was wrong I need to, I need to change my, I need to change my opinion right that doesn 't happen. You get into a debate with someone you 're like, "Come at me bro <laughs> you're like you're like there's no way you 're going to beat me i 'm going to win this thing because that 's the way our brains work that 's the way that 's the way it is because When you get into an argument or a debate, you're immediately going to this defensive posture, right? You're immediately, immediately your walls go up. You're like, I'm not going to lose this thing. It's because it's a fight. So you're never going to be willing to listen in a situation like that. You're not in a receiving posture. You're not actually trying to hear what anybody's trying to say. You're trying to win, Right? but stories are different. When somebody tells you a story, you're in a posture to receive. You're listening, you're hearing, you're empathizing, and a story might actually make you rethink your opinion on something, because it's like that's somebody's experience. That's real to somebody, and that's the reason why Jesus tells parables. That's the why Jesus taught so often in parables. His you know, the, the Pharisees, if you read the Gospels, the Pharisees were always trying to get into a debate with Jesus, and Jesus would always be like, "No, nope, we're not doing this. He wouldn't get into a debate with them, but then he'd tell a story. And then he'd tell a story, and that story would explain the position, explain his difference of opinion in a way that people could hear in a way that people could receive. And that's the purpose of parables. That's why Jesus tells stories. That's why Jesus tells parables. And that's why we're in this two-week series here on parables. And Sam, I know I wasn't here last night, but I think somebody said Sam spoke on the parable of the sower. Is that right? Um, So we're going to be very closely connected to that this morning. But, uh, you know, it's... um, it's Labor Day weekend in Michigan, and I've been a pastor long enough to know that Labor Day weekend in in Michigan, if you're in church on a Sunday, you're hardcore, right? Because everybody else is at the beach. <laughs> so, so we're going we're to we're dive a little bit this morning, but we're going to talk about a parable that most people know as the, um, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Um, so let's pray and let's get into it. God, thank you for this time that we have to just gather together and, and experience the, the presence of your Holy Spirit as we sing and we worship and we, and we devote ourselves to hearing from you. I pray as we look into your word this morning that you will open our ears and our hearts and our minds to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the parable of the wheat and the weeds is found in Matthew chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got your uh, Version app, you can pull it up, Matthew chapter 13. Otherwise, it's going to be up on the screens here. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 24. Starting in verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, when I was growing up, pastors love this sermon. This, this parable, because it was really easy, right? Don't be a weed, you'll get burned, right? Are you a weed, are you weed, or are you weeds? Are you going to get burned, are you going to be in the master, all, you know, you don't know, all that stuff. When they looked at this, this was a parable about hell, right? Because always, hell was always about fire when, we're, when I was growing up. I don't know about well, not some of you, but hell was always about fire. It was always, everything's going to get burned. And anything that happened to do with fire at all had to do with hell. <clears throat> but parables, we have to understand, parables are about, parables are, are exaggeration, and they're symbolism, and they're all these things. And when we, when we take them a little too liber- literally, we, under- we misunderstand their nature. And the other thing is, is that Jesus here in this parable doesn't say, don't be weeds. Or, hey, weeds turn into wheat. Change becomes something else. He he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't give a warning at all. So I think to use this parable in that way is a bit of a stretch. And the the honest truth is is that one of the complicating factors with this parable is this is one of the few parables where Jesus actually elaborates on the parable. Because a few verses later, in verse 36, this happens. It says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. These disciples are confused. So he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Now my tablet just doing crazy things here, Sorry. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The, wo- the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the man- enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now we read that and we go, well, gee, it's got to be about hell now, right? Jesus said, but here's the thing. Does Jesus really explain the story? He, He really doesn't explain the story. He says, listen, this, mean, this means this and this means this and this. this these people are that and he, he gives them the keys to understanding the story but he never addresses the, the, the whole idea about how the weeds got there and whether or not they should be pulled up or not. He doesn't really talk about the plot of the story. He just tells them, listen, these are the symbols and see, that's the way Jesus did things. If you if you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus never answered a question very directly. He always answered questions with another question, or he answered questions with a story. He made people think. Last weekend, I was in Milwaukee with my, visiting my daughter for her birthday, and, and we were talking to her about now that she's turned twenty four, and you know, we have more uh, you know more interesting conversations, and we're and we talking about growing up and and all the things she learned and. And she said to me, she said, you know, I hated it when I was young. When you used to always answer my questions with another question. But now I get it. (laughs) Because it makes you think. And I think Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's saying, listen, this is my story that I'm telling you. And, oh, you want to ask a few questions? Okay, let me give you some hints. But you're still going to have to do the work yourself. You're still going to have to dig into this story a little bit. Now, Jesus is clearly talking about the destruction of evil. That's pretty much much clear, right? But here's the thing. Jesus's parables always challenged people. They always said, Jesus's parables always said, listen, this is what you think now, but this is what I want you to think it's always challenging people's assumptions. Well, the idea that, hey, the wicked are going to get punished someday and they're going to get destroyed, that wasn't a new idea. If that was the point of this story, his listeners would have went, duh, tell us something we don't know, Jesus. Everybody in Jesus was, the, the, was listening to Jesus would have already believed that the evil excuse me, the evil in the world was one day going to be destroyed by God. In fact, that was a key belief of everyone in Jesus' day. It was something that, that they understood, and that's where we've got to dig a little bit deeper because to understand a story sometimes, especially an old story, we've got to understand the context. We've got to understand what was going on when the story was being told. How many of you have ever seen the movie Citizen Kane? Okay, you know, a really old movie, black and white, and most people go, ugh, it's so boring. If you understood what was happening in the world when that movie was made, and you'd know that the character of that, that George Foster Kane was actually a symbol a symbol of a guy named Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Hearst that was actually living at the time the movie was made, you'd know that movie was like in your face, right, really hardcore. Or, or another one, um, if you've ever seen the movie or read the play or seen the play, The Crucible, right, The Crucible, one of my favorites of all time. But if you don't understand that that was written, you know, during the, the Red Scare and the Joseph McCarthy here and all that time and, and place in history, then you don't get the depth of the story. You don't understand it completely, And the same thing is true sometimes with Jesus' parables. We don't understand the depth of it because we're too far extracted from what was going on when Jesus was telling the story. So think about this for a second. At the time that Jesus is telling this story, the Israelites, the, the Hebrews have been either in captivity or being oppressed by some rival nation for some 600 years, 600 years before Jesus, this Babylonian emperor, emperor came into Israel and defeated them and took most of them away to captivity in Babylonia, which is now somewhere around Iraq. And a long time went past. And then, and then the Babylonians got defeated by the Persians and all this stuff happened and, And eventually the Israelites went back to their homeland, but they still weren't in charge of their lives. There was always some other nation that was over them, telling them what to do, forcing them to do things their way. And all throughout that time, for those 600 years, the prophets of Israel, the people who spoke for God, were always saying, one day. One day, God's going to take care of this situation. One day, God's going to defeat evil. One day, he's going to defeat all of our enemies. He's going to take care of this, and everything's going to be good again. Everything's going to be great again. For hundreds of years, the prophets of Israel are telling these stories. One day, one day, God's going to do this. He's going to defeat all the evil people, and he's going to make things right. And eventually, those stories started to feature a character called the anointed one, or in, uh, a word that gets used a lot is Messiah, but it just means the Savior. It just means the, the anointed one. He said, the story started to say this anointed one, God's gonna send this anointed, this Savior. God's gonna send this Savior, and when this Savior comes, he's gonna destroy all of our enemies. When this Savior comes, he's gonna lead us in victory, and he's gonna destroy all of our en- enemies, and everything's gonna be great again. It's awesome. So wait for this Messiah, wait for this Savior to come, and then everything's going to be great, because all the evil is going to get destroyed. And for 600 years, they were listening to this. And there was a guy just before Jesus by the name of John the Baptist. You've heard of him. John the Baptist was actually Jesus' older cousin. And John the Baptist was one of these guys who was going around saying, God's going to make things right. God's going to make things right. There's this guy coming. He's going to come and he's going to make things right. In fact, if we just flip a few pages before in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3, we look and we see here, here's what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see the parallel here? This is exactly what John the Baptist is talking about. John the Baptist says, one day God's gonna send his Savior, and he's gonna gather up all the wheat, and he's gonna burn all the weeds. He's going to defeat all the evil ones. This is Jesus' cousin saying this. And then eventually John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and John the Baptist says, this is the guy, my cousin, my cousin Jesus, he's the guy, he's the savior, he's the one that God's promised to send for these 600 years. But then things didn't unveil the way John the Baptist thought they were going to happen. And we flip ahead a few more pages in the book of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 11, we see this. When John, this is John the Baptist, who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Because John the Baptist is sitting here going, where's the burning? Where's the destruction of our enemies? Where's the big fight? Where's the battle to defeat all of our enemies? When are you going to do this? You're supposed to be this. This is hardcore, man. He's talking about his own cousin. I guess family is where it gets really raw, right? But John the Baptist is talking about his cousin. He's like, because... Are you really the Messiah that I thought you were or are you not? Because you're not doing it the way I thought you were supposed to do it. You're going around and, and you know, being all peaceful and, and all such and just, you know, healing people. I thought you were supposed to come and start kicking tail, taking names. So he's asking, Jesus, are, are you really the, the Savior that God promised? because this doesn't look the way I thought it was going to look. And the honest truth is, is John, at this point, is voicing the same question that everybody was asking of Jesus. Come on, Jesus! This isn't the way we thought it was supposed to work. This isn't the way we thought the Savior was supposed to save us. We thought you were going to go and kill all the Romans and put them in the fire. This is where, this is the context in which this story is being told by Jesus. So when we go back to the story, Jesus is talking about a field with wheat and with weeds. You can go ahead and put it back up there. He's talking about a field with wheat and weeds. And the workers in the field say, Where'd these weeds come from? And and the the owner says, well, the enemy did that. And the workers, the servants go, can we pull them up? Can we pull up the weeds? Can we get rid of them now? And the owner of the field says, no, not yet. Not right now. Now is not the time. Now is not the time to do this. You see, the interesting thing is is the, the word that Jesus uses for weeds here, it's actually the same word that, John the Baptist uses for weeds earlier in Matthew. And it's a specific kind of weed. In English, we call it uh, darnel or darnel. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But it's it's a very interesting weed because it looks just like wheat when it's growing. It's really hard to tell the difference between wheat and darnel. Really hard to tell the difference. You gotta wait until it's full grown before you can tell the difference from one to the other. Once it's full grown, then you can look at it and go, Oh, that one's a weed, that one's the wheat. But when when they're young, you're like, you gotta really look close and go, I'm not so sure which one is it. And of course, I'm no gardener. I kill plants. And that's what I do. But some of you are probably pretty good gardeners. And when I was growing up, my mom had a garden. And I know that when you're pulling weeds, you've got to be careful, right? Because if they're too close to the plant itself, you can mess with the roots of the plant itself, right? So even if you know which one's the weed, it's a little dicey sometimes. So this is the context of this story. And notice here, in the story, Jesus says the harvesters... Are the angels. Since the harvesters aren't the people of God, the harvesters are the angels. So, within all that context, we've got to look at this story again and say, what is the point? What is the moral of the story? What is the point that Jesus is trying to make? Because Jesus is clearly saying, listen, one day evil is going to be destroyed. One day we're going to, we're going to. Yank up the weeds, and they're going to get burned. We know this. But the point of the story is not what is going to happen or how it's going to happen. The point of the story is when is it going to happen and who's going to do it. When is evil going to be taken care of and who is going to be the one doing it? We know that evil is going to get taken care of. We know that God is going to destroy evil. The people that were listening to Jesus, they knew that. The disciples knew that. If they thought the story was about destroying evil, they wouldn't have said, Jesus, what are you talking about? They knew that. They knew that God was going to destroy evil. The question was, when? Jesus, we thought you are the Messiah. We thought you were the guy that was going to destroy evil. We thought you were the guy that was going to come and take care of this problem for us. And Jesus like, be patient. Now is not the time. And you aren't the people to do it. Now is not the time. And it's not your job. See, there's the kicker. Far too often, especially when we we get really serious about Jesus and we get really serious about what's right, doing what's right, we want to fix it. We think it's our job to defeat evil, right? It's our job to fight. It's our job to fix the world. It's our job to take care of all the evil in the world. And Jesus is sitting here and saying, no, not yet, and it's not your job. It's not your job. We want to fight. Not only that, we, we don't just want to fight. We want to win, right? We want to win. We're Americans. We fight, we win, right? That's, that's I mean, that is like the definition of, of America. We fight, we win. That's how we started. That's how we keep going, We find an enemy and we fight and we win. That's what we want to be. But Jesus is saying, listen, not your job. Not your job. And now is not the time. And in this, we're not really all that different than Jesus' disciples. They were the same way. There's this story in in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. It's, it's, It's crazy. He says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. There's this whole rivalry between Jews and Samaritans. It was an ugly thing. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? What? They they don't want you to come spend the night, and so you want to call down fire from heaven to destroy their town. Yeah, I don't think Jesus is going to go along with that. I really don't. But they did. They're like, come on, Jesus. Can we do it? Can we do it? Let us do it, please. Let us take care of these enemies, because they're no good, right? So we can take care of them. We know who the bad people are. The Samaritans are the bad people. They're our rivals. So we can destroy them, right? We can call down fire from heaven. You said we got all this power. Py- Jesus is like, no. No, that's not what it's about. And this is the thing we've always got to remember. It's not our job to figure out who's evil and then defeat them. I know, it's, I know it may, may sound strange, but it's true, it's not our job. That's God's job. Figuring out who the evil people are and defeating them is not our job. Matter of fact, that whole idea of figuring out who the evil people are, in my opinion, I'm not alone, was the original sin. What did the Adam and Eve do in the garden, right? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because they wanted to be the ones to decide what was good and what was evil. That's what messed it all up. Right from the beginning. They wanted to know and be able to decide for themselves what's good, what's evil. Who's good, who's evil. God says, that's not your job. It's not your job. Your job is to follow me. Your job is to imitate me. We're not qualified to decide who's good and who's evil. We're not. Because we're looking at the field and go, that looks like a weed, and it might be wheat. That looks like a weed. No, no, that might be wheat. No, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure that's a weed right there. Mm? Are you sure? The only one who really knows for sure is God. We don't have the knowledge, the understanding to make the decision who's evil and who's good. Now, in our world, we can look at some people and go, oh, they're definitely evil. <laughs> That's right there. I know. I don't need any. No. Don't do that. It's not our job. It's God's job. Our job is to deal with the evil Right here. That's our job. That's our job. Because that evil we know. We know what's going on in here. We know what's going on in here. We know when we're doing wrong. The Holy Spirit tells us that. It's our job to take care of that evil. Not that evil. That evil's God's job. This evil, this evil, we got a little work to do. Now, it doesn't mean we ignore the evil in the world. Don't misunderstand me. There is evil in this world. And it doesn't mean that we're going to sit back and go, not my problem. Not my problem. No. You know, the, it the Amish, you know, they form their own little communities and say, ah, oh, we don't want any part of that evil world. We're going we're to get off by ourselves and just live our life for God by ourselves. No, that's not what it is. The, we, the wheat lives among the weeds, The wheat is mixed in with the weeds. That's who we are. We're to be kingdom people in the midst of the evil. We're to be kingdom people, to be Jesus people in the midst and among the weeds of the world because we don't even know. Our job is not to isolate ourselves from the evil of this world, nor is our job to fight against it. But our job is to work for justice and righteousness in the world, not against people. Now that may be a very subtle distinction but it's an important one. It's an important one because when you're working against somebody, it's us versus them. (laughs) You're deciding who's evil and you're saying, I need to fight you, I need to defeat you. But when you're working for justice and righteousness, you're working for everybody. You're doing good for everybody, and that's what Jesus wants. That's what God calls us to be, people who work for good in everyone's lives, no matter who they are, not to fight against people, but to work for people. Our job is to shine a light, shine the light of Jesus, shine the light of, king, of the kingdom of way of living in the evil world that's around us. Not fighting with the evil, but showing that there's a better way. There's a better way. And trusting God's going to sort it all out. That's that's what we're supposed to be. Kingdom people showing a new way and saying, hey, y'all want to join us? We got a better way. Just look. You like it come join us. And the band's going to come up and sing a little bit more. And I encourage you during this these next couple of songs just to kind of take some time and, and think about this a little bit. Because most of us at some point have been caught up in trying to defeat evil. If you haven't, congratulations. I'll, I'd like to meet you. (laughs) You're something else. But at some point in time, I'm betting that one of us, that all of us have been caught up in this idea that we we need to beat those people. We need to defeat the evil. We need to win. And especially these days, I mean, let's be honest. Right now, in this world, it's all about us versus them. It's all about, if you're not with us, you're against us. It's all about fighting. It's all about, we're right, they're wrong. I don't care what side of it you're on. It's all about drawing lines. We've got to show that there's a better way. There's a better way. That doesn't involve fighting. That doesn't involve beating the evil ones simply working for peace and justice and righteousness for all people and letting God take care of what's his job. So three things this morning I want to challenge you with, and I want you to think about this as we sing these next couple of songs. Our job is to focus first on being kingdom people, being the kind of people Jesus wants us to be. That's our job. That's job number one. We need to first be the change that we want to see in the world around us. Number two, our job is to promote good in this world without making enemies. It's not about making enemies. It's not about identifying the enemies and figuring out how we can beat them. It's simply about promoting good for all. And thirdly, We've got to trust that God's got this all taken care of. We've got to trust that God's got it, right? This whole evil thing, he's promised all along that he's going to take care of it. Is he taking care of it as quickly as we want him to? No. He's not. But if we truly trust him, we know that he will. And until then, It's our job to be the change in ourselves and to spread that that Jesus life around to those around us. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.